0: You're listening to Biceps After Babies Radio, episode number 46. Hello, and welcome to Biceps After Babies Radio, a podcast for ladies who know that fitness is about so much more than pounds lost or PRs. It's about feeling confident in your skin and empowered in your life. I'm your host, Amber Brieseke, a registered nurse, personal trainer, wife, and mom of four. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Biceps After Babies Radio. I'm your host, Amber Brzezinski, and today I have Kaylee McDevitt on the podcast, and we're going to chat about some hormone issues and how you can have healthy hormones. And this episode... Was fascinating to me. Hormones are admittedly not something that is my specialty. Um, I mean, I know what they are. We study them in nursing school. Uh, I understand them, but it's definitely not my strong suit. And Kaylee, talks a lot about having healthy hormones, what you can do to have healthy hormones, and then how it impacts your life. And she kind of backs me up on some of the things that I say a lot of the time about how not being in a deficit all the time is really important, not only from a weight loss standpoint, but... Um, and from a health standpoint, but also from a hormone standpoint, and she's going to talk about that to you a little bit. So those of you who are experiencing maybe some weight loss resistance and you're thinking that hormones may play an issue in that, really listen to this episode and listen to what Kaylee has to say. And she has some really good ideas about what can be the next steps for you to be able to make sure that your hormones are working for you and, and not working against you in your fitness journey. So we're going to jump right into that episode with registered dietitian, Kaylee McDevitt. Welcome to the podcast, Kaylee. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to chat with you. I am thrilled. I was telling Kaylee before we got on the recording that I'm really excited to be able to chat with her because this is important stuff, but it's really not my like expertise. And so bringing somebody on who can share that with you guys, I'm, I'm just really excited that Kaylee is willing to share her expertise with us. Yeah. Excited to do it. Awesome. So let's start out with a little bit of introduction. So
1: who are you? What do you do? How do you help clients? Sure. So my name is Kaylee. I'm a registered dietitian. Um, I own a virtual private practice and I get to work one-on-one with really amazing women to investigate and overcome their hormone issues. Um, I'm very honored every single day to get to do the work that I do because it's very specialized. We get to dive into some diagnostic testing and a truly personalized approach to help them resolve lingering symptoms. And it's really that way because I've gotten myself into this niche of where my clients are coming to me after years or sometimes decades of not feeling their best and not getting the answers that they want from some of the conventional methods that they've tried. So they come to me like really ready to dig in and get to the the root issue. So that's what my one-on-one stuff looks like. Um, I'm also the co-creator of an online women's health course and community called Her Hormones Academy. I created this alongside another dietitian who has similar passions and we wanted to create a place where women can learn how their body works and how to identify and overcome their hormone issues on their own. So it's like the DIY route of my one-on-one services.
0: Perfect. And we will link all of this up in the show notes. So if you're interested in checking that out, we'll definitely, um, link that up and you can check that out. Um, Great. okay. So I have a question. You're an RD, so a registered dietitian. Mm-hmm. So what made you, that's not something that is like talked a ton about in dietetic school, is it? No, um, no not at all. <laughs> yeah. So like, so you went through dietetic school, mm-hmm. how did you like kind of navigate into this area of like hormones? How did that become something that you became passionate about and learned more about?
1: Yeah. Great question. So definitely not talked about in school to become a dietitian. Um, I really got interested in this because it was my own health journey that I had to navigate Um, and it was very centered around hormones for me. It was a long journey of being on hormonal birth control and never feeling like myself when I was on it, but also getting a lot of dismissal from the professionals that I sought out and I dug into the research. I ended up in a really cool first job as a dietitian that exposed me to a lot of lab work and functional testing and ran the full gamut on myself and found a whole bunch nutrient deficiencies and hormone imbalances and really like coached myself out of that place into a place where, you know, my hormones are optimal. I feel good. I feel like myself again. And in sharing that journey, I began to attract clients that were going through similar things. Um, So all of the education in the hormone space, aside from like general physiology in school was done after becoming a dietitian. Um, I took a job at an OBGYN practice for several years where I got to work with a whole bunch of hormonal imbalances and fertility cases and it's just kind of been something that's grown out of my own experience and just snowballed from there.
0: Cool. So let me ask you this question because I think um you know some people listening are are listening and saying heck yeah like this is me, like I've been experiencing lots of issues and I can't pinpoint it and, and like are really interested in, you know, doing maybe more comprehensive hormone panels and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. and then there's some people listening for my, myself, for example, like I feel great. Um, I feel fine. Um, I'm sure if you did like a comprehensive hormone panel on me, something would probably be off, but is there any reason to do that if I'm feeling fine?
1: Yeah. So I'm a fan of preventative testing. Even mm-hmm. if you feel great, it's nice to know what things look like for you so that we can sure. track the changes over time because, you know, things feel great until they don't. And yeah. sometimes you can get ahead of something that might be brewing under the surface. Um, but in general, if you're feeling great, that's such a good indicator that what you're doing, you know, diet lifestyle life wise is supporting you. Um, because the way you feel is the biggest indicator of health. Sure. Even just lab work alone doesn't tell us much, but you have to combine the lab work with the symptoms somebody's experiencing before you can make any real interpretation from that. So I think, yeah, valuable to know. So if that's in the budget for you to do some exploratory testing, awesome. But if it isn't and you're feeling great, then that's probably the best yeah. indicator that we have. Yeah.
0: And I can totally see the value of having some sort of baseline um, mm-hmm. and say, Hey, I'm feeling good. And here's what my hormones look like now. And then if in the future, then that becomes an issue, then you can have that comparison. So what are we talking about? Cause I'm sure a lot of this is not covered by insurance. Mm-hmm. If somebody wants to go and get this done, what does that process look like?
1: And how much does it usually cost for them? Yeah. Great question. So the test that I use most frequently, and I've gone through many different types of testing and settled here because I just found it to be the most useful, is the Dutch test. I don't know if you've seen anybody talking about that one on social media. Um, It stands for dried urine testing for comprehensive hormones. So it's actually a test you do at home. Um, You pee on a couple of strips of paper, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they dry and you ship them into the lab. Um, So it's not a blood test. No, it's not a blood test. It's a urine test. Interesting. Okay. And the reason why that's particularly useful is that with a blood test, obviously you only get a measurement from the moment that the blood was drawn, mm-hmm. whereas with the urine test, you're collecting you know, four or five times over a 24-hour period, mm. so you can catch fluctuations, which oh, do they happen. They should normally throughout the course of the day. Um, and you also catch something called metabolites. So Mm -hmm. it's the byproducts of the different pathways that your hormones go down. So instead of just knowing, okay, your hormones are low or high, we know where in that chain in the body, there's a problem and can better tailor Mm. solutions. Um, so I love that test. It can be purchased direct to consumers. So anybody Mm. could go, um, to the website, just dutchtest.org and it's by precision analytical and you can buy it yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you can obviously do it through a provider that is a practitioner through that lab. Mm -hmm. Um, The benefit of going through somebody is that they obviously have been trained in how to they interpret can read it. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you're gonna give me all these numbers, I'm gonna be no, have no idea what that <laughs> means. Yeah. And if you're gonna spend any money on labs, you gotta do it in a way that you're gonna get the most out of totally. it. Totally. Typically yeah. means having somebody walk you through how to read it and what what to do with that information. But it is it's fully accessible to anybody at any time, which is great.
0: Okay, that's pretty cool. So here's this is my like nerdy medical question for uh-huh. you. So we you said you know I The blood test would be like a single period in time, and the urine Uh test we can do over a twenty-four hour period. Would it be slightly more accurate to do
1: to blood draws over a twenty-four hour period? Yes and no. So you won't ever get to see metabolites in a blood draw. You're just going to see what's circulating. Yeah. Um, And blood draws are totally accurate. I mean, that's a gold standard for you know serum value of a hormone test. Definitely still use there. Um, But if we wanted to know the pathways and particularly your adrenal hormones like cortisol and how that moves throughout the day, then I like the urine test for that. But um, awesome. if you could okay. do four blood draws in a day, you know, we still could get great, great information from yeah. that. Interesting. Okay. That was, that was literally just my nerdy, like science, oh, science brain
0: <laughs> trying to like analyze this a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So awesome. So what, like why hormones, why is this something that people should care about? Um, maybe even if they are feeling pretty good, like why is this something that's so important and it impacts
1: our, our day in our lives? Yeah. Yeah. So hormones and the most simplistic sense are, are messengers in the body. Yeah. So they're going to travel through the body and dictate how the different cells and tissues act. So it's hormones that are going to tell your muscle cells to grow in response to exercise or not, or what type of fuel to burn through your metabolic pathways or whether or not to support fertility. So things like your energy, mm-hmm. your metabolic rate, your body composition, your mood, and your fertility are all dependent upon your hormone levels. And so when those are optimal, you know, we feel awesome, we've got regular cycles, we can maintain a healthy body composition with relative ease, we feel like ourselves. And I'm especially passionate about this education for women because almost all of the nutrition research that we have is done on males or Mm -hmm. women on birth control, which is a totally different hormonal Mm -hmm. environment. Mm -hmm. And as women, we've got fluctuating hormones over the course of a month that's normal. And it's a very delicate system that can be thrown off by big changes to our diet and exercise. And I just think it's an underserved message, um, of how important that is and how it's affected by the foods that we eat and the exercise that we do. Um, and I think it's, it's where we have all of our power over how we feel function and thrive. Mm, Interesting. So what would be some, some things that
0: bring people into your office or they come and seek you out? Like what are they experiencing in their lives that causes them to then to go this route of like seeking you out and doing Mm -hmm. hormone testing?
1: Yeah. So probably the most common things I see, um, would be issues with their cycles. So either irregular or absent periods, and it could have been something that's been a long time for them, or maybe they just recently noticed a big change and want to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, it could be things like low energy or even an already diagnosed, um, thyroid condition, Mm -hmm. um, Weight loss resistance or unexplained weight gain, which is particularly common in people that have chronically dieted. I get a mm-hmm. lot of women that have done that. Um, low sex drive is another big reason somebody would come to see me or things like hair loss on the scalp, but hair growth elsewhere, like maybe on the jawline. And then of course, acne would be another sign of, of unhappy hormones that people frequently come to me with.
0: Awesome. So can we talk a little bit more about this weight loss resistance? Because I think that's probably a, like a lot of people listening have had some sort of experience with that where weight loss is hard or like maintaining it is hard. So what can you tell us that you normally see um, mm-hmm. with that and how we can... Understand our hormones and how
1: they relate to our weight loss. Yeah, for sure. And and I think this goes even back to my story of how I got into this work in the first place. Because in school, you know, we were being taught calories in, calories out, and that's really the end all be all for weight loss and a healthy body composition. And I just remember seeing a lot of women like doing everything right, so to speak, and not feeling good and not getting the results that they wanted. And um, I in my personal opinion is that there's usually hormonal imbalances to blame for something like that. And I wanted to be able to better serve them. Um, So weight loss resistance would be most commonly for me with people that have chronically dieted. So that could mean just trying to lose the last five pounds for several months, several years, maybe even their mm-hmm. entire adult lives. And the problem when we don't eat enough total calories is that we're sending really powerful signals to our brain that we need to slow everything down. Mm-hmm. We need to conserve resources. And the body's always going to be looking out for your best interests. And if there's not a lot of food coming in, it thinks okay, she's in a period of famine, we got to conserve, we got to dial things back. And then we end up having to eat less and less and less and less to see results. And there's a breaking point there. Um, And that's typically what that picture looks like in somebody that might come to see me is they, they might not even know that they've been under eating. It's just become the norm for them. Mm-hmm. And so really auditing what their intake looks like, gradually working them back up to maintenance for a while so that their body can feel safe. And then at that point, you can responsibly initiate some weight loss.
0: Preach it louder for people in the back. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just me saying it.
1: No, um, I saw is... your post recently on this. It was great. <laughs> yes.
0: I think so often as women, we just think the answer is just to eat less calories. And mm-hmm. what Kaylee is saying here is that like that impacts your hormones and it yep. makes it harder in the long run for you to lose weight. So um, I'm really glad that like that you touched on that point because it's, I it, it's just something that needs to be reiterated to so many women that you cannot consistently be in a caloric deficit. Our bodies eat weren't that. meant to like eat less all the time. Um, yeah. Awesome. Okay, so let's talk about some nutrition strategies for somebody who wants to like make sure that they are having healthy hormones and things that they can that the listeners can actually like start to implement today. Um, mm-hmm. So I know you came with five different nutrition stat- strategies to help us to have healthy hormones we start
1: with that. Sure. So the first one which we just we just <laughs> hammered home was you have to be eating enough total calories to be able to make hormones. Mm-hmm. And you know hormone production starts in the brain mm-hmm. and our brain is getting that input from us to decide if it's a good time to prioritize hormone production or not. And again, your body's always looking out for you. So if we're sending messages to the brain that there's not enough food, or maybe Mm -hmm. there's so much exercise going on that the food can't possibly keep up with that, then we're not going to be making hormones the way that we should. So the first and foremost is eating enough total calories. If that means taking some time off from dieting to work yourself back to maintenance so that your body can feel safe, then that's absolutely what it should be. There's not uh, you know, an appropriate time to diet every single time you want to. You mm-hmm. have to take into account when's the last time you were at maintenance, if mm-hmm. ever, how long were you there, how long have you been dieting. Um, all of that needs to be factored in before any cuts to calories are made.
0: So real quick there, I'm just going to insert in, when you have women who come to you, and because I, I get this question a lot, and I'm interested in your response, and they ask you, okay, I've been dieting for a really long time. I understand this whole reverse diet. I understand this all. I have to eat more. I have to eat at maintenance. How long do I have to do that before I can then go back
1: into like a dieting phase? What do you say to that? Yeah. So it, it does depend on how long they've been dieting and, and what else is going on with their health. But I'd say planning on hanging out at maintenance for a minimum of six months. And nobody likes to hear that yes. answer from <laughs> me. Um- <laughs> I always say three to six months because yeah, that's people like, I don't
0: know. They hear the three, and that makes them feel better. But I, I agree with you. Like I, it, it's
1: longer than you want it to be. It That's is the answer. answer. <laughs> you know, by the time somebody's reaching out to you or to me, you know they want the results that they're Today, after. Or, like or yesterday. yesterday, yeah. <laughs> And, um, it's just not, you know, as professionals, it's not responsible for mm-hmm. us to tell them that they can embark on that right away. Yeah. You know, you've got to be responsible for your metabolism and your hormones. And, and your long-term health, right? Yes. Like this is not just about the next six months. It's about the next
0: six years and the next six years after that. And yes, quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. So what about, um, thyroid and sex hormones? Cause I know that that can be impacted as well when you're under
1: eating. Yep. So it's that brain communication that I was talking about. So if the brain, specifically the hypothalamus, is getting input from you that there's not enough food coming in, it's going to slow our metabolic rate by making less thyroid hormone um, because our thyroid is what controls our metabolism. And if our body sees there's not enough food and it wants to look out for you, Mm. it's going to say, hey, thyroid, let's back off a little bit so that this girl doesn't starve, hmm. um, and then for sex hormone production, it's similar in that you know our sex hormones, so estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, are going to be supporting fertility. And whether or not your goal is a baby right now, that's how the female body is designed. And if it thinks that now is too stressful of an environment to bring a child into the world, so like a perceived famine by your brain, we're going to start scaling back how much resources are spent on making our sex hormones for us. So hmm. the way that that under eating presents from a lab testing standpoint is typically low total hormone output, low Mm -hmm. thyroid function, and then usually something going on with cortisol could be high or low since the situation is stressful Mm -hmm. on the body. Mm
0: -hmm. Interesting. That's really interesting. Um, Okay. So number one is eating enough total
1: calories. A freaking men. Um, Mm -hmm. Number two. Number two is don't be afraid of healthy fats because they make your hormones. And this goes hand in hand with a lot of the women that I see that have been dieting their whole lives, or maybe they, you know, came up in the time where we were really afraid of fats. Yeah. And I've seen, you know, they're hanging out at the 20 grams of fat a day mm-hmm. range, and just terrified, mm-hmm. terrified to eat more fat. Um, and we make all of our sex hormones out of fat. So if we're not getting that in our diet, we automatically don't have the raw materials that we need. To make those for you. So, you know, with all things, you know, calories and fats included, I'm not telling anybody to go from zero to hero the next day. We want to do these things and gradually increase them over time. So, not only is it easier psychologically, um, Mm -hmm. but also it's easier on your body. Mm Because if you haven't been eating a whole lot and you haven't been eating a lot of fats, um, we want to ease your digestive system and your metabolism back into utilizing that as fuel. So, Um, Again, this kind of ties into tip number one, where I'd want somebody to audit what their current intake looks like, where we know how many calories, how many grams of fat are you getting, and then we can gradually work up from there. Mm, That's awesome. Cool. Okay, number three. Number three is keep blood sugar balanced. And this comes from having balanced meals and snacks. And I know you utilize a macro approach to your coaching, which I find incredibly useful for this tip mm-hmm. because it is in combining protein, carbs, and fats that we can keep blood sugar nice and steady over the course of the day. Mm-hmm. And you know we touched on on stress being a major roadblock for hormone production, and a really overlooked form of stress is blood sugar imbalances. Mm. You know that swinging all over the course of the day is stressful on the body. Um, It interferes with the communication between our cells, and you know done long term we can end up in a state of insulin resistance and that's a major driver of hormone issues particularly things like PCOS mm-hmm. and fertility issues so blood sugar balanced with macro balanced meals and snacks so meaning you know your breakfast lunch dinner and any snacks that you have are going to have a source of protein a source of fat and a source of you know fibrous carbohydrate
0: Mm, that's awesome. So I've had just a thought or a question come to mind. So you talked about um, maybe what a hormone panel would look like for somebody who's under eating. Um, what would we maybe see if someone was over exercising? Because I think, like you said, with the, with the blood sugar issues are a source of stress. I think a lot of people also don't understand, what, one, that dieting is a, is a stress on your body, um, but then also exercise is a stress on your body. So what are we going to see if someone is over exercising in their hormone
1: panel? Yeah. Great question. So oftentimes it looks similar. It's going to depend on how long the overexercising has been going on, but because it's a stress, we're going to see a depletion of our sex hormones. Those are usually pretty low in somebody that's overexercising. Um, The variable here that might be different is going to be their cortisol, which is our Mm -hmm. stress hormone. That might be sky high throughout the course of the day um, because exercise is going to raise cortisol, which, you know in moderation is a good thing. That's Mm -hmm. how we grow and adapt. But if we're over-exercising and under-recovering, we might see an inability to bring that cortisol back into a normal range, which is why often people that are over-exercising have a hard time getting good sleep because we've got all this cortisol pumping through our veins at the wrong times in the day. So typically low hormones, high cortisol in an overexerciser. Interesting. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: So we have eating enough total calories. Don't fear the healthy fats, keeping those, that blood sugar balanced.
1: What's number four? Yep. So number four is getting enough fiber. I know that that's something that's been Beaten into all of us in the Mm -hmm. nutrition space for a long time. But the way that that's applicable to hormones has to do with actually getting hormones out of the body. Mm -hmm. And so we want it's a Goldilocks situation with all things health, really. We don't want hormones to be too low, but we also don't want them to be too high because we run into problems on either end of the spectrum. And fiber is essential for binding anything that we're excreting from the body. So Mm -hmm. um, estrogen would be a really good example here. If we've got too much estrogen relative to progesterone, we can have a whole host of hormone symptoms that would be called estrogen dominance. Mm-hmm. And we actually have to have enough fiber in the diet to bind up the excess estrogen that our body's excreting and you know take out the trash by pooping it out. Mm-hmm. And so if we're not getting enough fiber or we're not having regular bowel movements, we can actually reabsorb that estrogen back into circulation. And then we can end up having symptoms of high estrogen without actually making too much. It's more that we're not able to get it out of the body. So we've got to see enough fiber. And typically that's anywhere between you know, 25 to 45 grams a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to see most women up in like that 30 to 40 range. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also something that needs to be gradually increased too. So right. if you don't know how much <laughs> fiber you're eating. Track it first and then gradually increase and don't jump it sky high. Yes. <laughs> You'll be sad. Definitely, but it makes a really really big difference for making sure that we've got that last step of hormone balance and that's actually detoxification and removal from the body. Okay.
0: Can we talk a little bit about detoxification because I think that's mm-hmm. kind of a buzzword that we hear sometimes yes. <laughs> and um, and people like to do cleanses and yeah. and things like that. Can you talk to us a little bit about your body's natural process of detoxification Mm -hmm. and if you recommend anything for that.
1: Sure. Yeah. So it has not a great connotation right now, but detoxification is something that your body does for you all day, every day, which is great. Thank you, body. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, body. (laughs) Yeah. And this is primarily being done by the liver, We've got you know, two different phases of detox that happen in the liver where we can convert things like excess hormones or, you know, chemicals we're exposed to in our food and our environment, or any medications or even alcohol anything that the body would consider to be toxic gets processed through the liver into a less toxic form, and then it's actually bound and sent for removal. And we're either going to poop it out, pee it out or sweat it out. So in order to support healthy detoxification, we want to make sure that one, our liver is healthy and we can do that by eating things like cruciferous veggies. So things like broccoli, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, kale, um, and then also things like fresh lemon squeezed in our water is pretty nourishing for the liver and also cutting down on exposure to things like chemicals and toxins when we have the opportunity to, After the liver is supported, we just want to make sure the rest of our detox pathways are open. So, we want to sweat regularly, you know, every day if we can, or at least several times a week. We want to make sure that we're having bowel movements every single day. And then, of course, drinking enough water so that we're peeing regularly throughout the day. So that if the liver's doing the job, we can take those toxins and get them out of the body.
0: Hmm. I had no idea that toxins were excreted through sweat. Mm -hmm. That was, that's a new one to me. Interesting. Awesome. Okay.
1: So the last one. Yes. So this one has, has several built in within it, but I wanted to highlight a handful of nutrients that are particularly important in this conversation and where you might find them in food. So the top nutrients that I would recommend to somebody that wants to look out for their hormones would be magnesium, zinc, vitamin D, B6, and iodine. And so I'm going to go back through those and talk about where you might find them in food. Okay. Um, if if you think your audience would find it valuable to talk about supplementation of any of these, I'm I'm happy to do that too. Okay, cool. But I'm always a food first, whenever possible, kind of gal. Sure. Um, Magnesium you're going to find in your dark leafy greens, in almonds, black beans, dark chocolate, which I always like to throw out there, (laughs) um, or things like Epsom salt baths. Um, You can absorb magnesium through the skin. It's a great way to relax some good self-care or even recovery from exercise. Um, Zinc is primarily going to be in animal proteins, oysters, pumpkin seeds, and lentils. Vitamin D, you're going to get mostly from sunlight, but also to a, from a smaller extent from egg yolks and things like fatty fish. B6, which is a member of the B complex group, is also going to be in animal proteins, avocados, bananas, and lentils, and then iodine. A little bit more challenging to get. Um, Things like kelp flakes or seaweed snacks are pretty great sources of iodine. And then, of course, um, iodized salt, where they've added it back in, um, can also be a good source of iodine in the diet.
0: Awesome. Mm -hmm. And then, so what are we looking for with each of these? Are these each, is it more of like a comprehensive, just overall balance? Or are we looking and saying, hey, magnesium really impacts this hormone a lot?
1: Yeah. Um, good question. So magnesium is my first line of defense really for anybody with any health goal, because it's such a common deficiency and it's like Mm. nature's anti-stress nature's anti, you know, anti-tension or muscle relaxant, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So magnesium does support hormone production pretty much across the board, but it also helps with the stress response and helps people get better sleep at night, recover from exercise, keep that cortisol down. Um, Zinc is particularly helpful for the production of progesterone. So it's a nice one to have if anybody's got estrogen dominance issues or maybe low progesterone or had been on hormonal birth control and came off. Vitamin D behaves like a hormone itself. So, that one is pretty much across the board beneficial. And again, a very common deficiency. Yeah. Maybe not so much where we live because it's so sunny here, mm-hmm. but really, really commonly deficient. And it's hard to have enough raw materials to build your other hormones if vitamin D is low. Mm-hmm. Um, B6 is similar to zinc in that it really does support progesterone production. So again, super helpful for anybody that might have issues with low progesterone. And you would know that if you had a lot of PMS, you came off of hormonal birth control, or if you were struggling with fertility. And then lastly, that iodine, um, we have receptors for iodine very concentrated in the ovaries and also in breast tissue. And so deficiencies in iodine can contribute to the breast tenderness that many women feel before their periods and some PMS-type symptoms. Um, It plays a role in thyroid health too, so it's got a lot of different uses. But again, I see that deficient more and more frequently these days.
0: Awesome. I'm interested in this, in this magnesium. Cause I like hear anti-stress and I'm like, yes, I need some of that. That's yes. amazing. <laughs> um, so if someone's wanting to be like, okay, um, I really didn't know anything about this, but I kind of want to track it and see where I'm at. Is, is that something that like you can track inside of my fitness pal? Do they track, um, these added the app chronometer does. Okay. Um,
1: are you familiar with that one? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Tell me what it is and I'll type (laughs) in. So it's called Chronometer. And honestly, I might be pronouncing that wrong. I was a a long time MyFitnessPal user. Uh um, And then somebody, so it's spelled C R O N O M E T E R. Okay. Chronometer. It's also a free, you know, calorie app. Yeah. app. Um, and somebody made me try it and I was resistant because I've been a MyFitnessPal person mm-hmm. since the beginning. Yeah. Um it tracks these nutrients really, really well in a nice, like visually easy to read format. I can't remember now if MyFitnessPal tracks um some of these minerals.
0: Okay. That would be interesting. I'd be interested just to even like track for a couple mm-hmm. of days and just to kind of see where you're at. Because I'm sure you're right that like that I probably don't get enough of a lot of these things or, um, could use a more like focus on it. Um, making sure that, you know, you're getting enough of each of the
1: the things that you need to help you do your best with your hormones. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to be able to track what you're getting from your diet and then you can figure out if you need any supplemental support. But, um, magnesium is a really easy, you know, first line one for people and it can be, um, it can be absorbed through your skin. So there's a bunch of magnesium sprays. So you can absorb it like that. There's that natural calm, um, drink is a really common one too. You can find it like target CVS, Mm. any of the stores. Um, and then if you're going to go the capsule route, I usually recommend it in the form of magnesium glycinate because it doesn't have a laxative effect that some of the other forms might have. Mm. Um, so lots of different options there
0: another one that I hear talks about in the fitness industry a lot is vitamin D um, like you said a lot of people are um, don't get enough vitamin D because you there's like the sun exposure that you have to have is really like full body Sun for like 15 minutes something like yep. that where it's you're actually getting a lot of Sun on your skin um, but that can play a role in in your fitness and in like building muscles <laughs> is that right yes absolutely I I yep. um, Uh, What was I going to say? Do you recommend that people supplement with vitamin D? Because I've heard some people who are like, everybody should just take vitamin D. Mm -hmm. Like, we're all just chronically underdosed. So, like, everybody should take it. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I typically have people on like a relatively low dose as preventative, but I'm a big fan of testing that when we have the opportunity and that's an easy test to request from your doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, next time you have a routine physical or even a visit to your OBGYN, just asking for a vitamin D level because if you are deficient, which is super common, you're going to need a much higher dose to ever have a chance to replete that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's nice to have people on vitamin D as like a a safety net if if we think the sun exposure is insufficient, but I would like to test that level to make sure we get a high enough dose to get that back up because some people have very stubborn vitamin D levels. I'm one of those people mm. and it's um, there's some genes that interact there that make it harder for me to keep optimal levels so I need to stay on a pretty high dose and mm. I wouldn't know that if I didn't test it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely notice a difference when my vitamin D is optimal versus low.
0: Cool. So what, what other things did you notice when you started paying attention to your hormones and like making sure that you are supplementing with them with things that you need? What were the
1: changes that you personally saw in your life? Yeah, so I noticed um, a change in my response to exercise. Um, I've been, a, you know, a lifelong athlete, and one of the biggest signs that things weren't going so well for me is that I really lost the drive to to be active. Mm. And I really didn't feel like I didn't feel like myself from an activity standpoint and also from like a mood regulation standpoint. So I noticed that things were were getting better when I had that drive to be active and I felt like I responded to training again and I wasn't just sore for weeks on end. Um, I also noticed a big change in my ability to sleep um, because stress was a big factor for me and I was drinking a ton of caffeine and I was mm-hmm. um, just not prioritizing sleep. And once I got my stress levels down, I got that cortisol down, I could have deep restorative sleep again. And, you know, my tendency toward anxiety toward the day was much better. And then again, my exercise drive and also recovery improved, which was Great. Oh, that's awesome!
0: That's really mm-hmm. great. All right, so th- I mean, this has been fascinating, and I I love that you're sharing this because I think there's a lot of really really good stuff for a lot of people in here. Um, so, is there anything else that like you want to make
1: sure is said or that you want to like tell my audience? Sure. Yeah. So I think I think the realm of hormones just even in the name can sound. Like intimidating, or like it would take really extreme measures to dive into it or to improve it. And I just want to reiterate hormones are super important, but it's, we have so much power over them. You know, we live in a very high stress environment today that also happens to be filled with a lot of, you know, diet messaging that may not be so helpful. And because of those things, hormone issues are, are pretty common. Um, and it might be that missing piece that you need in order to fully understand your body and learn how to support it via food and exercise. But through the foods that we eat and the movement that we decide to do and the sleep and the self-care we decide to give ourselves, we have so much control over these hormones. So it can be as simple as making sure that your meals are, are macro-balanced throughout the course of the day. It could be getting your vitamin D level checked and repleting that. It could be adding a little bit more healthy fats in your day, or it could just be, you know, doing a realistic audit of whether or not your current calorie intake and exercise volume is supporting your health or working against you. So little changes can make a very big difference in your hormone health and it doesn't have to be something grand or complicated. That's awesome!
0: Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Kaylee. Of course. It, it was blast. it was amazing to have you on. I really hope that the things that um, you talked about are helpful to my audience, and uh, we will definitely link up um, her Home Loans Academy. Um, yeah. So if that's something that interests you, um, reach out to Kaylee and um, you know maybe check out her stuff. Uh, if yeah. that's something that you feel like will really help you in your journey, I can absolutely see this helping a lot of you. So I'm really grateful to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I found it fascinating to listen to Kaylee and everything that she mentioned will all be linked up in the show notes. So if you go to bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash 46, everything will be there. So you can hit any of those links that she mentioned and check out some of her resources. That wraps up this episode of Biceps After Babies Radio. I'm Amber. Now go out and be strong because remember my friend, you can do anything. Hold up, sister friend. Do you love Biceps After Babies Radio? If so, the best way to say thank you is to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. I know every podcaster wants you to leave a review, but it's because those reviews help the podcast to reach more people. And I do truly want to know what you think.